So I want to talk to you this morning about a wall. And, and I know we'll all be, if you've been a Christian for quite a while, you'll be familiar with it. But whenever we talk about buildings or walls, Mark to- talked last week about Jesus being the chief cornerstone of everything that we build upon, everything that the church is built upon. It's all about Jesus. And as we've sung this morning, it's all about Jesus. When I think of a famous wall, one stands out, the Great Wall of China. It took 276 years to build, to keep out the Mongolian invaders. But this morning I'll be talking about a wall, 2,000 444 years ago getting rebuilt and 2,323 miles away as the crow flies. And this wall will be talked about till Jesus returns. Amen. 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 Christians, you'll all be familiar with it. As I said, lots of you have heard about Nehemiah and the book of Nehemiah. But I shared a word with Arvel and Angus a couple of months ago and it was on, it was a word, an encouraging word from Nehemiah. And the next day, Lucy had the same word and shared the same word. So God is going to speak to us this morning Amen. through Nehemiah. Amen? Amen. There are so many parallels of application from the Nehemiah and the Jews rebuilding the walls as to where we are here today at the Rock Church. I'll give you a brief background. Uh, God had warned Judah and the Jewish people repeatedly about their disobedience in not keeping God's law or God's ways. And as a result of their disobedience, God had spoken to the prophet, spoken through the prophet Jeremiah that they would be taken captive by the Babylonians and exiled for 70 years, almost a lifetime. Daniel also had this prophecy. If you've got your Bibles, can we turn to Jeremiah 25, 11? I'll give you a moment. So this is what Jeremiah says in 25 verse 11 of God speaking through Jeremiah. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And in Jeremiah 29 verse 10. It's only a couple of pages away I think. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word to you and cause you to return to this place. So I want to give you a bit of history. Around 607, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a scholar, so bear with me. Around 607 BC, the Babylonians first attacked Judah. Two more invasions took place over a 20-year period, taking the people captive. In 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem, the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. He carries away the Jews into captivity around 800 miles away in Babylon. 538 BC, the Babylonians get conquered by the Persians and Cyrus, the king of Persia, reigned in Babylon. After the 70 years in captivity had been completed, in 536 BC, King Cyrus started to release the Jewish people to return to build the wall in Jerusalem and the temple under Zerubbabel. Eight years later under King Darius, a second wave of Jewish people would return to Jerusalem along with Ezra returning. A few years later, the third wave of returned Jewish exiles, now under the Persian king Artaxerxes, sorry. I always get that name mixed up. (laughs) It's quite a mouthful. We'd see a man called Nehemiah return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. So let's take a look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah's name in Hebrew means God comforts. 
means God comforts. So this man, Nehemiah, was born in exile in Babylon. His father was called Hekeliah and his brother was called Hanani. He would have grown up knowing all about Moses, Abraham, the Jewish religion, about the returns to rebuild the temples. Uh, Nehemiah was a, the king's cupbearer. He would have been a high-ranking official primarily in charge of serving drinks to the king. He had organized the wine, tasted the drinks to make sure the king wasn't getting poisoned. Nice job. He was a, <laughs> he's a privileged man in a privileged position, position trusted implicitly by the king. Nehemiah's position afforded him a comfortable lifestyle. He would have everything provided for him and lived in relative luxury compared to others in that era. But like Moses... Nehemiah was, living, was willing to leave a palace for a purpose. Let's turn to Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. If you have your Bibles with you. Everyone there? Yeah. The words of Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The son of Hakaliah came to pass in the month of Chislev. In the 20th year, as I was in Shizan, the citadel, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with men from Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who would survive the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also breaking down, broken down, its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting, I was praying before the God of heaven and I said, Lord God of heaven, oh great and awesome God. And we said that a few times this morning. You keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and obey your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servants, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. So Nehemiah could have reacted in two ways to this. He had a great job. He had a great life. He was in the king's palace. He was the king's cupbearer. He had a fantastic job. He could have said, you know what? That's 900 miles away. I'm not bothered about that. You know, yes, yeah, send him my best wishes. Send him my condolences. But hey, leave me alone. I've got a nice, comfortable lifestyle. But Nehemiah revealed his true character and his heart in his next course of action. Upon hearing the news, his first port to call, his very first port to call was God. Nehemiah was a man of God, a man of prayer. He had a heart for God's people. God had given him a heart for the people and for Jerusalem. But firstly, Nehemiah weeps over the state of the Jewish people. And Jerusalem, Jerusalem's physical state, just as Jesus did in Luke 19 when he wept over Jerusalem, over Jerusalem's spiritual state. Nehemiah prays and mourns and fasts and intercedes for the nation. He didn't turn his face away or put his head in the sand or faint at the calamity in front of him or the enormity of the project. He got to praying, fasting, down on his knees and he called out to God, Nehemiah took action. In verse 5, Nehemiah reminded himself and God of who God is. 
And church, it's so good when we're in worship or when we're in trouble. Remind yourself who God is. Amen. We've sung it this morning. He's exalted. He's the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And everything is about Jesus. Life is about Jesus. History is about Jesus. Creation is about Jesus. Salvation is about Jesus. Everything in our lives is about Jesus. It's all about him. And may that always be in this church. Amen. Amen. So in verse 5, if you've got your Bibles, as I say, O great and awesome God, you keep your covenant and your mercy with those who love you and obey your commandments. Nehemiah elevated God way above the challenges and the circumstances ahead of him. He remembered God's faithfulness towards his people in the past and his never-ending mercy. Church, his mercy is anew every morning. Anyone need God's mercy this morning? I do. I need it every second of every day. I really do. I really do. You might, you might, you know, we might see a stand here with, with a nice shirt and nice trousers and a smart tie like Arvel. But you know what? We all need God's mercy every moment of every day. So Nehemiah was reminding himself of the one who removes mountains, the one who parts the seas, the God of the impossible. We sung it this morning, and the God of provision. Whenever we face the impassable or the insurmountable, when the mountain in front of us seems impossible, remember the Lord, your God. Great and awesome God. Great is your faithfulness. So God's hand was on Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah was the man for the job. He was in the perfect position as a cupbearer to win favor with the king. He was born at the precise time in the exact location where God would use his life in an astonishing way. He really would. Um, God had a plan for Nehemiah's life. So God knew the exact time Nehemiah would need this favor and provision. And God had orchestrated everything even before Nehemiah was in the womb. His father must have thought, ah, that's why he's a cupbearer to the king. I, I thought, why didn't he go into carpentry or follow me? Not that he was a carpenter. But God is the master weaver of our lives. He really is. He knows everything about our lives. In Psalm 139, 16, it says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were, all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Be encouraged this morning. God knows the most intimate details of your life. He knew you before you were formed, where we would be born, when we would be born. And he has a plan and a purpose for you, just like Nehemiah. Believe it this morning. Believe it and receive it. Don't say, oh, God hasn't got a plan for me or God hasn't got a purpose for me or I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm this or that. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us and none of us are left out. So in verse 11, Nehemiah asked the Lord to give him favor with King Artaxerxes, with whom he was the cupbearer, so he could go and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So as Nehemiah approaches the king, you can imagine, you know, when you approach the king in them days, he could have had you hanged, he could have had you thrown out, he could have had you, whatever, put in prison. But Nehemiah took a risk. He took a massive risk. But he was willing to take the risk for the people of God because he believed in Jerusalem. He believed in Jesus. He believed in God. He believed in Jerusalem. He believed in the temple and he believed in God's people. So 
So Nehemiah went before the king. He asked the king if he can go and rebuild. God gave him favor with King Artaxerxes. He not only gave him permission, he also gave him letters of approval. He provided him all that he needed by allowing Nehemiah to take from the king's forests all the timber, all the materials, everything they would need to rebuild the gates and the walls. There is nothing like the king's authority. Nothing at all. Letters with the king's stamp. Today's companies will do anything to receive that stamp of approval, the royal approval on their products or their services. In 1836, bit of a, something for you in case you didn't know this. Maybe you all know it. 1836, Twining's Teas was the first UK company to receive a royal warrant from Queen Victoria. They have served every successive monarch since. And you know what? They're really successful. Don't we Brits love a cup of tea? So when you have the king's approval, doors open for you. God opens doors that no man can shut and God closes doors that no man can open. So Rock Church, I want to say to you today, we go with the king's approval. We have this royal stamp this stamp, this Bible, and we go with the king's authority. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So just like Nehemiah, God will provide everything that we need to accomplish a task that he set before us in, this, in the Rock Church, including the building. Who's believing for a building? My goodness, if God can rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he can give us a building. My goodness, he can. All we have to do is trust and believe. Seriously, it's nothing's impossible for God. It's just a building. Just a building. So, around 444 BC, Nehemiah travels 900 miles to Jerusalem. It would have been a three to four month journey. It'd been over mountains, rough terrain. There was no comfortable toilets. There was no bathing facilities, no phones, no sat nav, no Google. After arriving, and I was just shocked to some of you, but there was no Google back in them days. There was no answer. You couldn't go to Google for your answers. Yeah, donkey, yeah, exactly. There were donkeys. I think he did go on a donkey, actually. After arriving in Jerusalem over three nights in secrecy, Nehemiah surveys the walls of Jerusalem the next day he approaches the noble many officials and the priests. And this is what he says. If you turn to chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. You see the distress we're in. How Jerusalem lies wasteland and its gates were burned with fire. And he says to them, come, let us build a wall to Jerusalem that we may no longer be able to reproach. And I told him the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he'd spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they, set, then they set their hands to this good work. So Nehemiah lays out his heart before the people, before the priests, before the leaders. He'd surveyed the land, relayed his intentions, and Nehemiah had approached the distressed and depressed with two reassuring facts. God's hand was with him. And he had the king's approval. These two statements were crucial in inspiring people who were distressed and hated. This was not Nehemiah's good idea of repairing a wall. It was God's idea of repairing a nation. And God's hand was behind it. King Artaxerxes approved it. 
Nehemiah approached God's people with spiritual approval and physical approval. And he rekindled a flame of hope in a disheartened nation. So let's take a look at the, the, the rebuilding of the walls. Before they even lay a brick, before they even put a stone down, Sambalat, Tobiah and Gosh and the Arab start mocking them and hating them and trying to stop the work before they had even really began. They came against the Jewish people, were ready to start building. They've agreed on it. People of God, don't ever deceive yourselves. Don't ever think that we won't have trouble come against us when we do the work of God. You know, we will have trouble. We will have enemies. Even if we're in the will of God and we follow in the will of God, we will have trouble. Jesus said, remember the word that I spoke to you. A servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. As the church move, moves forward, we're going to face physical opposition. We're going to face spiritual opposition. So back to Nehemiah. So three enemies, one intention. Stop them building and stop them before they even start. The enemies the Jews, the Jews faced were not really three enemies, but two enemies. And the two enemies were ridicule and discouragement. Ridicule, when I first got born again, when I first became a Christian, my goodness, it was a radical change. It really was. God needed to do a radical change. And the same, my wife, Nicola. We both got born again. The first thing, Nicola, we went up to Nicola's family and such was a change of God had done it, done their lives. I remember saying, what is wrong with you? Nicholas' family said, you've joined a cult. <laughs> you've joined a cult. Only some, you know, such was the change. You've joined a cult. And then why can't you be like normal people and just go to church on a Sunday? Why do you have to be like you, know, like you are? Why do you have to be so sold out for God? Why do you have to do all this stuff? And we were saying, no, it's not about going to church on a Sunday. But they ridiculed us. My family said, it'll never last. <laughs> it won't last. I've seen him over the years. He's done so much. He's got been into this, been into that. But you know what? Praise God. We have lasted. So we all face ridicule in some manner or form. We will be persecuted for our faith. So ridicule and discouragement. So some will remember the story. I think Pastor Anne, you shared it maybe a year or so ago. One day, day there's a story. One day the devil advertised some of his tools for sale. One of the, on the day of, of the sale... The tools were neatly laid out for inspection. Each tool had a tag with the sale price on it. There were lots of tools for sale. Hatred, jealousy, envy, deceit, lying, pride. But to one side was a tool. It was really well worn with a ridiculously high price. One of the prospective buyers came up and said, why is that tool so expensive? It's astronomical. It's so worn. The devil replied, because it's more useful to me than all the other tools. With this tool, I can pry open a man's heart when I can't get near him with the other tools. Once I get inside, I can make him do whatever I want. It's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone and very few people know that it belongs to me. Church, you'll drag up your past from the grave. He'll tell you all your failures how you have failed before. Why would God use you? He wants to stop you dead in your tracks with discouragement. But God is our greatest encourager, amen? amen. Romans 15 said, he's the God 
of all encouragement. And you know, we have two polar opposites on the when we say discouragement or encouragement. And the word in the middle is courage. And Joshua 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So church, don't listen to that whisper in your mind or that voice of discouragement that he'll bring against you. Don't let the enemy distract you or discourage you. Point him upwards to God. Tell him what God says, says about you. I know the plans God has for me. Plans to prosper me, not to harm me. Plans to give me hope and a future. And I can do all things, not some things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, the word of God is for us. It's not for us just to read. It's for us to believe. It's for us to stand on. It's for us to declare with our mouths. You know, there's power. There's life in the word of God. The word of God will transform you. It will change you if you allow it to. If you take it in. If you eat it. Store the word of God in your heart. <laughs> So Nehemiah, he could have fallen at the first hurdle, discouragement. He said his face like flint. And this is what he says to his enemies in verse 20. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants will arise and we'll build. So Nehemiah again points straight back to God and reminds the opposition of God's hand being with him and that this is God's rebuilding of the wall. It's not his idea. Just like David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. In church, we're going to have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Just like David. Finally, they start to rebuild the wall. The very first builders, the high priest and the priests. The first place they start is the sheep gate. And this is so significant in successfully rebuilding the wall. Because everything we start with belong, starts with Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the gate. So Nehemiah organizes the people to rebuild the broken down walls. He directs them to build the part in front of them. And each single one of them worked alongside each other and built what was in front of them. They were of one mind. They had one focus to take away the reproach from Judah and from Israel and to protect the city. So halfway up, they managed to build halfway up. And as the walls increased, so did their enemies. And this is what we read. Nehemiah 4, verse 7 and 8. Now it happened when Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, they heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very, very angry. All of them conspired to come and attack Jerusalem and cause confusion. When ridicule and discouragement failed, they now come with fear, confrontation, and confusion. And fear, we know, is the opposite of faith. Fear will cripple you and contain you. Faith will propel you and liberate you. I'm going to say that again. Fear will cripple you and contain you. Faith will propel you and liberate you. Unhealthy fear is the enemy of faith. So we know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. No. He's given us a spirit of power, yeah. of love, yeah. and a sound mind. Amen? Yes. Confrontation. Anybody like confrontation? None of us relish confrontation. It's the most, uh, so uneasy thing that you have to do. But, you know, it brings us toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy and face-to-face, -face, just like David faced Goliath. 
And when the enemy comes breathing down your necks, and he will, we need to take a stand, trust in God, and hold our ground. Thirdly, confusion. Confusion creates chaos. It's the opposite of stability and clarity. Vision and purpose create focus. And we know without a vision, the people will perish. Amen. So Nehemiah, again, turned to his source. God is strength. He didn't ignore the enemies around him. He put watchmen on the gates. He armed the people. They had one hand with a trowel, one hand with a sword. They were now battle ready, fully armed, dressed to kill. Excuse the pun. They'd gone from perfumers to builders, from builders to soldiers. They were starting to build as one people. In Nehemiah verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 20. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Church, God is on our side. He will fight for us. The battle belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. We surrender to God. We submit to his power and his presence. And the battle belongs to him. Amen. Unity. We've talked about unity this morning. Vital ingredient to victory. They had a purpose, they had a vision, they were face to they they were face to face, they faced the battle together. When opposition came, they gather and called as one one people. They built as one, they fought as one, and they recognized ultimately that it's God's battle. Nehemiah's fight wasn't over four times Tobiah and Sambalak came to him trying to entice him out of the walls of Jerusalem into the plains so they could do him harm he resisted the fifth time a letter Nehemiah didn't take the bait to leave the city wall they couldn't get Nehemiah out so finally they came from the enemy within they sent a secret informer called Shemaiah who wanted to cause Nehemiah to sin to get him to go into the temple. But God gave Nehemiah discernment how we need discernment these days. How we need discernment these days. So he refused his bait. There's so much more in the book of Nehemiah. It's a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, read it. Read it about four times. There's so much in there. But finally, victory comes. Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elo in 52 days 52 days further on we read the Jewish people repented of the ways they recommitted to God's law and it was a great celebration in Jerusalem church what God can do in 52 days through an obedient man and a unified people my God what can he do here at the rock church at the Rock Church. Seriously, what can he do here? If we're in unity, if we stay in unity, we've talked about it this morning, if we build in unity, my goodness, God is going to do amazing things here. He really is, amen? And I add, all things are possible, just like we said. So the walls of Jerusalem, they're over two miles in circumference. They were towering walls, according to some... Um, sources they were about three foot thick so this building in 52 days was a miracle in itself it really was Taylor Wimpy would be after them builders wouldn't they they really would so the Jewish people who built the walls they weren't qualified builders this is so important you need to listen to this bit the Jewish people who built the walls were not qualified builders 
or carpenters. They were priests, families, daughters, brothers, perfumers and goldsmiths. Everyday people just like you and me. So Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem to rebuild a wall and God took Nehemiah to rebuild the nation of, of Judah and Israel. From a cupbearer to a foreman, from a foreman to a governor. Nehemiah was a man of vision, a man of compassion, a man of valor, a man of honor, a leader who inspired a depressed and distressed group of people to rebuild a two-mile wall in just 52 days. 52 days. We don't need to look far. We look around the church and we see, you know, the, the walls of the church, we've heard it on the news of different denominations splitting and everything else. We don't have to look far to see the church's walls have been breached. They really have. You know, the church has been breached. The church walls have been breached. But we are here for a purpose. We're not here every week. We are here every week to gather and to worship God. But God has put the rock church here for a purpose. And uh, these are the last days we've heard. You know, we, we are to bring the kingdom of God into Stratford and the nations to rebuild what has been broken down to take back what the enemy has stolen. You know, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life. Jesus has come that we may have life and the people may have life, amen? So God is not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. He's looking for those who will say yes to the call. Yes to the call to take the gospel to the nations, to establish the church here in Stratford, to be committed to the vision. For those who are willing to leave the palace of comfort, like Moses and Nehemiah, and put their hand to whatever God calls them to. When the Lord asks us to do something, don't say I'm not qualified. The Lord's qualified you and he will equip you for every good work that he asks you to put your hand to. 2 Corinthians 9 Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Not a little grace, all grace. Not some sufficiency, but all sufficiency. In all things, not just sometimes, but at all times. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He'll provide everything that we need. Amen. So every single person rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem was important. As every person is here this morning, today. The Jewish people came together as one. They built as one. They defended as one. They accomplished as one. We shall do the same here in church. I shared a few weeks ago from 1 Peter uh, 2 about we are the living stones. We've been built together into a spiritual house just as the physical walls of Jerusalem Basically, every brick supported the other brick. And Lucy said it this morning about the chain supporting each, each part of the other chain. So every single person here is essential to the other in rebuilding the church here in Stratford, re-establishing God's kingdom. If we have unity, nothing will be impossible. You know, when, when they were building the Tower of Babel, God said to them, let's go down and confuse the language because nothing will be impossible for them because they are of one mind. On one voice. Vision. Just like Nehemiah. Pastor Arvel, Pastor Anne. God has given you a vision. From the Lord for the church here in Stratford. God called Nehemiah from a cupbearer to a governor. 
God has called Pastor Arvel from a pallbearer to a pastor to lead the people. Church, we need to follow the vision. Love your pastors and pray for them. Unity, vital in successfully building the walls of Jerusalem. Vital in establishing God's kingdom here in Stratford and the nations. We need to be of one mind with one focus. Build together, support each other. Lucy said this as well this morning. Love one another, build each other up, encourage one another, stand together. We're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. Do you know what church? This is the time for us to take the kingdom of God out of the walls of the church into Stratford, into the devil's territory where he has taken territory. We take it back. We take it back and we go with his authority. Amen? Battle ready. Be, be dressed at all times as we build. One hand on trowel, one hand on the sword. In Nehemiah 4, verse 23, this is what he says. Neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except for washing. This is a lesson for each one of us. It really is. Don't just put your armor on in the morning. Keep it on. Keep it on when you go to work. Keep it on when you, at all times when you sleep, working it, eating it. Don't take it off. Protection. Nehemiah put guards on the gates. Guard the weak areas. We all have weak areas in our lives. You know, when the enemy wants to come in, get a foothold and create a stronghold. We need to guard our minds. This is a spiritual battle. We need to be watchmen and guard and cherish what we have. We have something special here at the Rock Church. Amen. We really do. We have God's presence. We have something special. Sacrifice. This is a big one. You know, it costs to follow Jesus. It costs to follow Jesus. Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price? Nehemiah left a comfortable palace, the fancy title fulfill a calling and I'm going to ask each one of us here today including myself am I are you willing to put your life your career your finances sometimes even friendships on the altar and live for God's will and to give up our own will because that's where we struggle we have our own will and we have God's will we try to intermingle them we try to walk in the two we can't it's either one or the other. It's either, one, it's either darkness or it's light. We can't mingle. So whatever we build here in Stratford starts with Jesus. I started with the sheep gate. They started at the sheep gate. And it's so significant in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. First, Jesus is the gate. The sheep gate is so important. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. John 10 verse 7. All who have come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to him. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Second, the sheep were led through the sheep gate for sacrifice. Jesus is a sacrificial lamb. Revelation 3. He was slain for the world. Third, the high priests and the priests were the first to start the building. Jesus is our great high priest. Fourth, the sheep gate, the only gate that was consecrated as holy. Isaiah 43, 3. Jesus is the holy one of Israel. Fifth, the sheep gate is, is the gate without bars and without locks. 
the only gate that's accessible to the lost day and night. And Jesus' door is never locked. It's always open. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end of everything. He's the only gate of which may, way we may enter into a relationship with God. Church, I want to say this morning, are we, two questions, are we willing to lay down everything to follow the vision that God has for his kingdom here in Stratford? Only you will know the answer. But are we willing to take the gospel to the nations? Are we fed up of living a mediocre Christian life? Or do we really want everything that God has for us? Do we really want the fire? Do we really want the Holy Spirit? Do we really want to see lives changed? Do we really want to see people rescued from hell, from a certain destiny of hell, and go to heaven? And Jesus would ask us all this question this morning. What are you doing with your life? What am I doing with my life? Am I putting other things before God's will? Am I putting everything else? Am I putting... My finances, where are my finances going? My relationships, am I in the wrong relationships? Is my time spent on TV or technology or everything else? Or is my time spent seeking God and his, his will for my life? You know, some of us, haven't got, we don't know how many years we got till Jesus comes back. But do you want to make your life count? Do you want to make your life count? Seriously, come on. I want to make my life count. I want to get to heaven and Jesus say, say to me, Paul, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be faithful. I want to be a faithful servant to God. I don't want God to say to me, look at me and down at me. Not that he would, he loves me. But, you know, I, I want to, do you want to live fully on fire for the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ paid the highest price for you and for me. The very highest price. The Son of God came from heaven, left his throne, came to the earth, took your sin and my sin, crucified on a cross, rose again the third day, and he did it for you and me. Let's not forget where we've come from, what God has done for us, where he has brought us from, and he has given us a purpose here in Stratford. He has given us a purpose. We have a mission, the Great Commission, to take the gospel to all the nations, to all the people of Stratford, to take back what the enemy has stolen in the dark places and take the kingdom of light into Stratford and the nations. Amen?